The following episode can be viewed on the YouTube channel Bernie or Bust Television. Good morning, USA, and welcome to another episode of the Bernie or Bust Show. If you already accept the idea that the, the battleground states, especially Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, if you accept the idea already that these are really important in the general election, then you have to look at your favorite uh, Democratic hopefuls and figure out which one of their which one of them will play out the best in these states. Their message, their personalities, their ideology, everything that that they bring to the table. We have to see how that plays out in in these swing states. The other idea is we've got Lauren Martincheck. Um, talking about the one thing Donald Trump is actually good at, you have to you have to acknowledge what he is good at and how that plays out in the swing states. So first, let's look at the strange divide between Warren and Sanders by Francis Taylor. In the current race for the Democratic presidential nominee, Senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren have both emerged as serious contenders, more or less tied for second place. That was true when this article came out. They are slowly closing the gap with frontrunner Joe Biden. Now they're not tied. Now Bernie is clearly ahead of Elizabeth. At his peak, the former vice president was enjoying a lead of 25 points. Now it has dwindled to a less impressive nine-point lead, with many opining that his collapse is imminent. <laughs> I, I keep hoping, but it looks like his collapse may, may not come until July. I'm... I'm kind of wondering now if, if anything he does, any stupid thing he does, has an effect at all. And we talked to the boomers yesterday about that problem. So, so look at yesterday's show if you're interested. Going on, and whatever happens next, Biden is sure to face fierce competition from the two senators. Together, Warren and Sanders represent the progressive flank of the Democratic Party, and they are the most likely to appeal to voters hungry for change, with their ambitious proposals for health care, education, and clean energy, the two senators offer the prospect of a kinder, fairer America. Both have an honest, folksy demeanor that endears them to people. Both have proposed sweeping taxes on the rich and floated protectionist trade policies, and both have even promised to wean the country off of nuclear power. What I've said is one person has a plan, the other person intends to use the labor force to apply the leverage necessary to carry out the plan. A recent survey by the Pew Research Center found some striking differences between the profiles of Warren and Sanders supporters, namely the following, and this is the crux of the matter. 71% of Warren supporters are white in comparison to 49% of Bernie supporters. Out of the five leading candidates, Warren boasts the highest share of voters with a postgraduate degree, while Sanders has the lowest. Sanders is the most popular candidate for voters under 30, but the least popular with voters over 65. Hey, boomer! Meanwhile, Warren's support has spread much more evenly across age groups. So then we have to apply the, the different ways of looking at them. Warren's core supporters are wider, older, and more educated. So the two candidates appeal to very different voting blocks. 
And so when we think about the, the swing states, that's going to be applicable because in the swing states, the, the white, affluent, and well-educated voters that Elizabeth Warren brings to, this, to the table, there, there aren't as many of those in the swing states. And those are more coastal voters. Those are more people on the West Coast and the East Coast. In the middle of the country, Bernie has Bernie's demographics are more likely to carry the day. So looking at the New York Times, we've got a Medium article by Michael Greiner. And his article is called, What the New York Times Pollsters Got Wrong About Swing, Swing State Polls. I'd say that they got a lot of things right, and Michael gets some things wrong, but I agree with Michael on a few things. So, so let's, let's jump in here. They're talking about the New York Times poll versus real clear politics average. They're saying that Trump was tied with Joe Biden, that he led Elizabeth Warren by six points, and that only Bernie Sanders narrowly defeated Trump or led Trump. And then he contrasts that with Emerson polling that found all the Democrats were leading Trump. So, so Michael thinks, okay, so it's all right then. All the Democratic candidates can defeat Trump, so it doesn't matter which one. And I'd say that's a big mistake. He does say that the Democrats can take nothing for granted. Trump does have an electoral college advantage. This is the part where he's right, and we need to, we need to augment what he's saying here. In fact, some analysts have predicted that Trump could win re-election while losing the popular vote by an even larger margin this time than last. And the betting markets are still giving Trump a 42% chance of re-election, so it's close. He acknowledges that it's close. The problem is the unequal distribution of Trump opposition. Trump opponents tend to be concentrated in a few states, and this is where Elizabeth's supporters are, including California, New York, Massachusetts, Maryland, Illinois, and Hawaii. But remember, it doesn't matter whether a presidential candidate wins a state by one vote or a million, he or she still gets the same number of electoral college votes, all of that state's allocation. So Trump's route to victory involves winning a bunch of lightly populated Republican states and winning a couple of swing states like Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona, and Florida by small margins. That's how he did it in 2016, and it could happen again. That is a really cogent analysis of, of the situation last time and this time. So those swing states that he mentions are still in play. They're still very important. And the differences between Bernie's base and Elizabeth's base make Bernie a much more viable candidate in the lightly populated Republican states and, and the swing states. So they're not going to be equally competitive against Trump. Anyone who interprets it that way is not learning from history. So I, I would say that this, the reason I showed you this article is because of his excellent analysis in, in these two paragraphs. But I disagree that, that um, we, we don't have to panic. I think if you're wanting to defeat Donald Trump, you need to panic if you think that you are going to vote for anyone other than Bernie Sanders in the primaries and in the caucuses. Now, here's another point made by Lauren Martinchek, 
the one thing that Donald Trump is actually good at, which even further augments this argument. Much like with his real estate brand, Donald Trump was able to market himself to a chunk of the country as a man fit to be the president of the United States. This chunk of the country she's talking about is in the middle, in the Rust Belt. He stood on debate stages, told his fellow candidates that he'd bought them all in the past, and told the American people that he was the only one who would protect and fight for them. The president successfully marketed himself as the manifestation of decades of fear and angst, emerging as exactly what the Republican voters wanted in a candidate. Regardless of whether or not they were voting in their best interest, Donald Trump knew how to appeal to and nurture their deep-seated anger and resentments. It may seem laughable for a billionaire with six failed businesses that he was able to sell himself as a populist, but leave it to Donald Trump to be able to market himself as such. So whether you like it or not, he has successfully marketed himself as a populist, especially to people in swing states. And unless you run against him, a candidate who is equally perceived or even more perceived as a true populist in those states, you won't beat him. Elizabeth is the least well positioned to beat him in the middle of the country because her white, affluent, well-educated voters don't reside there. So it's, it's a very simple, simple point to make. This New York Times article further hammers the point home from the upshot. They voted Democratic, now they support Trump. Two-thirds of battleground state voters who chose Trump in 2016 but selected Democrats in the midterms say they will return to the president next year. Michelle Bassaro, a Trump supporter in her apartment in Nantiglo, Pennsylvania. She said she voted for the Democrat in her district in the midterm election to balance the administration's power. It's interesting. I never bumped into that idea before, but apparently it's, it's a thing. This article in the New York Times is by Nate Cohn and Claire Kane Miller, dated November 26th. Midterm victories in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin gave Democrats hope of retaking the Rust Belt battleground states that handed the presidency to Donald J. Trump in 2016. Yet, success in the midterms might not mean as much for Democratic presidential candidates as the party might think. Nearly two-thirds of voters in six battleground states who voted for President Trump in 2016, but for Democratic congressional candidates in 2018, say they intend to back the president against each of his top rivals, according to recent polling by the New York Times upshot Siena College. The results suggest that the party's winning formula in last year's midterms may not be so easy to replicate in a presidential election. The Democrats' relatively moderate House candidates succeeded in large part by flipping a crucial segment of voters who backed the president in 2016. If these voters remain open-minded again in 2020, Democrats will have a ready-made blueprint for winning back the crucial Rust Belt battlegrounds. This group is only a sliver of the electorate, 2% of registered voters, and is not representative of all voters. They are overwhelmingly white, 60% are male, and two-thirds have no college degree. But the president's strength among them helps explain why he is highly competitive in states that Democrats carried just one year ago. And that's the crux of the matter. 
the, these demographics do not match Elizabeth Warren's supporters at all. Overwhelmingly white matches, but the 60% male, two-thirds no college degree doesn't match. Many of the voters who said they voted Democratic but now intended to vote for Mr. Trump offered explanations that reflect long-standing theories about why the party out of power tends to excel in midterms. So we already talked about Michelle Bassaro, 61, Trump supporter, but she voted for the Democrat to rebalance the power. She said she had voted for Republicans when Democrats were in the White House for the same reason, consistent with research that shows that some people intentionally vote for divided government. Interesting. Voters often think differently about state and national issues. Some said they had voted for their local Democrat in the midterms because the person had served well for a long time or because the candidate's policies would directly help their community. But presidential politics were another story. Many of the white working class voters in the Rust Belt who supported the president in 2016 were traditionally Democratic voters who backed President Obama in 2012 and even continued to vote Democratic down ballot in 2016. Democrats generally held on to these voters in 2018, but the reasons many of them voted for Mr. Trump, like his promises on immigration or the economy, could still be relevant. Michael Townsend, 38, a high school educated construction worker in Dunmore, Pennsylvania, was a lifelong Democrat until he voted for Mr. Trump. In the last couple of years, the Democrats had kind of been losing the work, and I thought Trump might get us that work, he said. And to be honest, I've been in construction 21 years, and the last two years were the best. He voted for the Democrat in the midterms because he liked his ideas on less polarizing local issues like veterans affairs and opioids, while he said the Republicans were too focused on Washington politics. He has also been intrigued by Bernie Sanders but he'll probably back Mr. Trump again, he said. Mr. Townsend, who lives just outside Scranton, is in a district that swung from a 12-point victory for Barack Obama to a 10-point win for Mr. Trump in 2016. On the same day in 2016, the district voted to re-elect its Democratic congressman, Matt Cartwright, who won again in 2018. The district's continued Democratic tilt down ballot, even after it flipped at the presidential level, bears out the tendency of congressional races to lag geographic shifts in presidential elections, particularly if the district is controlled by the party out of power. I think that would happen if Bernie were to win the presidency. I think that there might be a lag, but eventually there would be that same geographic shift in congressional power. All right. Other voters say they are preparing to take an even greater leap, vote for Mr. Trump after supporting Democratic congressional candidates and Mrs. Clinton. I haven't talked about the Clinton to Trump voters, but there are some. In the survey, 7% of those who supported Mrs. Clinton in 2016 said they now approved of the president's performance, despite his personality and his Twitter account, many said. In 2016, I hated both candidates said Juliana California, 57, a nurse from Coral Springs, Florida. I went with Hillary because Trump had no history as a politician. Mr. Trump has convinced her, though, not with his character, but with his policies. He's not exactly the person I'd have as my best friend, said Ms. California, who recently lives 
who currently lives in Los Angeles, is a traveling nurse. But he's a great president. Most politicians just talk about doing things, but Trump does them. So here's an example of somebody whose marketing skills has persuaded voters. Voters who actually voted for Hillary Clinton. Scott Will, 51, an equipment operator in Ligonier, Pennsylvania, also voted for Mrs. Clinton in 2016 and will vote for Mr. Trump next year. So will much of his family, union workers who had been die-hard Democrats. Mr. Will, who started college but left to get married before graduating, credits Mr. Trump's trade deals and pledged to bring jobs back to the United States. In years past, it seemed like Democrats were supposedly supposed to be for the working man and for unions, he said. But I can say this, I will not be voting Democratic this election. So there you have it. Many, many of the voters cited economic strength as a major reason to support Mr. Trump, even if they didn't support him last time. Also, certain voters who support Trump said they had soured on Democrats because of partisan fighting culminating in impeachment hearings. Matthew Headley, 41, is a general contractor and owns a pizza business in Grand Blanc, Grand Blanc Michigan. He has mostly voted for Democrats, including for Mrs. Clinton, whose experience impressed him but plans to vote for Mr. Trump. Mr. Headley, who did not finish high school, likes what the president has done for the economy. The wheels are turning in the right motion for a lot of people who it wasn't for the last time, the, for the longest time. The Democratic Party fell apart on the heels of Trump winning, he said. The harder they're going after Trump, the more they're just alienating people and pushing them away. Okay, so, so that, that gives you the picture that you need. You need to see who these voters are in the Rust Belt, and you need to understand that they're not very likely at all to vote for Elizabeth Warren. And I, I believe, from my, my look at the polling, that, and from my look at the way voters voted in 2016 in these states, it's, it's pretty clear that the, the pundits in Washington, the elitist pundits, are, are not... They're not understanding this. It isn't just that they're trying to block it out, although they probably are too, but they don't get it. If you're an elitist, you don't understand the worldview of the voters who could flip from Hillary Clinton to Donald Trump. You just don't get it. And so for us to understand why we need to unite behind Bernie, this is why. Hillary's surrogate, Elizabeth Warren, isn't going to do the job there because of the demographics of her supporters. Biden's demographics are better than Warren's and his results in the polling are better, but he still, I'm, I'm betting that based on what I'm, I'm reading here, I'm betting that the, the workers, the ones who feel like Donald Trump will give them their jobs back or, or keep their jobs, they're not gonna go for somebody who supported TPP and NAFTA and, and other pernicious trade agreements. There are a lot of voters, savvy voters, in the middle of the country who know that the Democrats have not been helping them in terms of offshoring jobs. So you, you weigh this as you will, but, but it's, it's pretty clear that, and Buttigieg also, we should mention him in passing, He's, his, his demographics are also not going to play well with these voters. That's, that's pretty obvious. So let's leave it at that.
and have a great day. Keep on burning. Hope to see you tomorrow. Get on board the Bernier Bus Train. Come get on board the Bernier Bus Train. Once you hear that clickety-clack, there ain't no time for turning back. Get on board the Bernier Bus Train. The preceding episode can be viewed on the YouTube channel Bernie or Bust Television.